Canada's class of 2020 has some tough choices to make this summer. COVID-19 is casting a long shadow on our ability to socialize and attend classes. What will convince post-secondary students to return to campus for the fall semester? Will they even return at all? When September comes along, Canada's colleges, polytechnics, and universities can't just throw open their doors, they need a plan. They also need to understand what students are worried about and expecting out of their tuition dollars. And that understanding will go a long way toward providing high quality education, ensuring safety, and encouraging students to come back. I'm Kira Johnston, and this is the Leadership Perspective Series from the Conference Board of Canada. Each episode, we sit down with an expert or experts to hear their perspectives on an issue that's affecting the lives of Canadians. With me today are Dr. Maria Jamarco and Nimi Bakulakat from our Education and Skills team at the Conference Board. And we're going to talk about reopening post-secondary education during COVID-19. Hi, Maria and Nimi. Thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. Thanks for having us. Nimi, let's talk about the high school class of 2020. This will be their first year in post-secondary education. What will September look like for them? There's not one set answer to how September will look. I think it's fair to say that it will vary from campus to campus. Post-secondary institutions are very much in the process of making plans, and we're seeing a variety of unique approaches, the most common being some sort of hybrid learning. This is mainly online with some possibility of in-person activities. For example, we have Redeemer University. They are offering dual delivery, which means that students have the option to go completely remote and take their classes online, or they can be in person and the school will provide them with protective equipment and masks. Some other universities are looking for non-traditional classroom spaces. This includes off-campus buildings, churches, and campus performance venues. They want a space that's big enough to hold classes and have the students properly distanced. Other examples include Brock University. Now it's mandatory for anyone entering the building to wear masks. UTM is considering this. Even in September, if public health restrictions are relaxed, and as hard as post-secondary institutions are working to try and normalize this experience for students, the need to make sure students, faculty, and staff feel safe and comfortable will trump it all. Maria, which post-secondary institutions in Canada will see the most change to their schedules and activities? Most, if not all, institutions are going to see major changes. We're going to see changes in schools that aren't opening up at all. But even then, for campuses that will open, we'll see a lot of new protocols that will significantly change a lot of approaches to learning. In institutions, for example, that lean on practical, hands-on training that are focused on the trades and apprenticeships or healthcare, these institutions are likely going to face much more of a challenge in creating programs that can accommodate online learnings. How much of these programs can we effectively replace with online learning or even in-person learning that requires distancing and other COVID-related measures? It's also important to think about science-based programs that rely heavily on practical lab experience for foundational learning, as well as the science, tech, and engineering graduate programs that really make up the bulk of research and development in Canada. And this is work that relies heavily on things like travel-based field research or bringing in human participants for research practices, as is the case with fields like physiology, neuroscience, and kinesiology. When it comes to getting the health and safety messaging out, will smaller institutions have an easier time than the larger ones? Smaller institutions are definitely much more likely to have direct contact with their students. 
it's possible that in larger institutions, students just aren't as tuned into mass communications. In smaller institutions, we see that there's less diffusion of messages that come sort of from the top. Things might get complicated with larger schools that contain different sub-communities, either across campuses or faculties, or even across smaller colleges that are part of a larger school, but are themselves fairly self-contained and may put out different or their own messaging around COVID. But larger institutions might have more money and resources to create effective communication sources or knowledge hubs that students can refer to for COVID-related information and updates. At the end of the day, what we really need in place in institutions are strong, effective communication practices, no matter the size or the model of the school. Things like transparency and consistency are really key here. Making sure that there aren't mixed messages, whether these are in formal notices through mediums like email, or even throughout a campus environment in things like signs. There's a number of different stakeholders on campuses, from the president's office to faculty leads, facilities, even to individual professors that all have potentially different messages about what's going on and what the rules are. Schools really need to look at how unified and clear their messages are and who are the legitimate sources of information. They need to make that really clear as well. This also means ensuring students and faculty and staff have clear ways to communicate back to their institution about any concerns or questions that they might have and to be able to advocate on behalf of their needs or issues that might arise. Effective communication and effective two-way communication is key to making sure everyone on campus is equipped with the best knowledge on the new norms and the quote-unquote rules that will help them make healthy choices and keep themselves and others safe. On the topic of two-way communication, Maria, we all know that one of the most important parts of the college or university experience is the social aspect. Do you think we'll see a brain drain from students dropping out if they can't socialize like they used to, or maybe even transferring to another institution with a different plan for social distancing? Socialization is such a major part of the post-secondary experience for a vast majority of students, especially for those who are new high school graduates and going out into the world for the first time. Socialization is also just one piece of the puzzle beyond sort of classroom learning at post-secondary institutes. These institutes also provide a range of other supports and wraparound services that students really rely on that will likely look very different even for schools that are opening up. The challenges with offering supports around things like mental health, extracurricular opportunities, learning accommodations are all as important now as they were, or perhaps more important now than they were before, as students face the impacts of isolation and being isolated for so long. It's really tough to say exactly what will happen. We've seen in the past that in times of economic downturn, we typically see more uptake of post-secondary programs. But at the same time, we haven't before had this same context of being in a pandemic or coming out of a pandemic and the isolation that comes with social distancing. On the other hand, though, educational institutions are not the only places where students are feeling the impacts on socialization. Even virtual or socially distant campuses will still offer more socialization than not, and perhaps students will find new and creative ways to socialize and adapt, whether virtually or within the new rules on open campuses. And hopefully institutions and educators themselves will be agile and responsive enough to facilitate this. What a lot of this revolves around are some of the key findings that we've seen in our research on social and emotional skills, or what we might call human skills. And this is all part of a multi-year project that we're working on with my colleagues, Matt McKean and Steve Hyam. 
these human skills from things like communication to problem solving to resiliency, adaptability, emotional intelligence. These are really the skills that are going to get all of us, including students, through these challenging times. And while employers tend to argue that recent graduates are lacking in some of these skills, we also know that youth are particularly creative and resilient. These are the skills that are really going to be put to the test. Now more than ever, educators and administrators at post-secondary institutions need to be thinking about effective and actionable ways to support and develop these skills in students through the COVID recovery and in ways that provide the best environments for students in their learning. And of course, the social and emotional skills of educators and administrators themselves will be critical in this process. I'm sure students feel that their future is quite vulnerable. Nimi, can you talk about whether you think that this year will derail a lot of students from their career paths? We did expect this. We thought it'd be fair to assume that students may want to take a year off or that there would be a severe drop in registration, especially from a lack of international students. But now that we're moving along in this pandemic, we're seeing registration numbers are still going strong and lots of students are still signing up for post-secondary. In terms of career paths, as Maria said, students are resilient, they're creative, and they'll find new effective ways to figure out their career paths. Companies are also well aware of the situation and have also been hit in some way by this pandemic. Hopefully they will be more empathetic when helping students. Different programs are more conducive to online learning than others, so there may be higher uptake for those kind of programs. Students may consider alternative careers based on where they see the demand for jobs in the future. Maybe we'll see more students go into computer science, AI, IT. But something also that's important to note is there's definitely the potential for students from vulnerable groups or with marginalized experiences to get left even further behind if they're not getting what they need out of the new models of schooling. We really do want to call on post-secondary institutions and industry leaders to see what else they can do to support these groups. What other projects does your team have on the go? We're working on a number of great projects. One that's particularly interesting is our WILL project. WILL stands for Work Integrated Learning, basically experiential learning, and includes co-ops, internships, field placements, and the like. We're actually working with BHER, the Business Higher Education Roundtable, and together we're looking to achieve 100% WILL in Canada by 2028. We're doing this by holding a number of consultations with industry leaders, co-op offices, post-secondary institutions, and we're looking to learn about the existing resources that they have right now and the resources that they require to offer these experiential learning opportunities to students. Andrew Beeler on my team is actually leading this project, and he's coming on the podcast at a later date. Stay tuned for that, and you can learn even more. As a recent university grad, this episode definitely hit close to home. So thank you for joining me and sharing your knowledge and insight today. Thanks for having us. You can check out the article, Back to School at Post-Secondary Institutions Open, Will Students Go?, by following the links in the episode description. And you can find all of our education and skills projects, as well as our latest COVID-19 coverage at conferenceboard.ca. You've been listening to the Leadership Perspective Series by the Conference Board of Canada, hosted by Kira Johnston and written by Sarah Mells. This series is produced by Jen Duhamel, Nancy Nguyen is our audio engineer, and our executive producer is Michael Bassett. Ideas were also contributed by Rob Collins and Aaron Brophy. For more podcasts, videos, commentary, and ideas, visit conferenceboard.ca.